We are going to start a series of teachings um, for the next four Sundays leading up to Easter. If you grew up in a, a church environment, you may be familiar with the term Lent or the season of Lent, and it's 40 days. We're not going to really do a, a, a Lent emphasis or, or anything like that, but I love the idea of Lent because it takes 40 days, the weeks leading up to Easter, really to focus on the gospel message, to focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And really the 40 days kind of is significant because it it reminds us of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted, being tried before he entered his public ministry. And, uh, And so Lent is a time for us to just focus on the cross, focus on the resurrection of our Lord, focus on what he has done, the new life he is giving us. Some people will fast certain things. I know Christy has mentioned that when she taught a few weeks ago. Some people give up something just to say, you know what, I just want to have my mind focused on really what the important things are of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are sinners and he is merciful and we have eternal life through him. So we're going to do a series called Save Me. And we have a, a graphic for that. You can throw that up there, Charlie, called Save Me. The idea is, okay, what does it mean to be saved? What do we need to be saved from? Um, and I, I love the idea of taking a few, minute, a few weeks leading up to Easter and, uh, and just the next four Sundays, really, and, and just celebrate what God has done for us. That's what we're going to do. So if you know someone that you would like to invite to church, what we're going to do over the next four Sundays is just present the gospel message, present the truth of what Jesus has done, how significant that is for us. And I would love for you to be thinking about it. If you're a part of Homestead Church regularly, be thinking of someone that you can invite over the next few Sundays or even Easter. We'll have a Good Friday service here as well on Good Friday evening. But think of some people that you would like to invite. If you've got people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, um, I think more and more people are open to come to church with people. And, and if you grew up in church, maybe you're like me, I, I kind of get um, kind of used to the idea of church, but then I also think, oh, I don't know if I want to invite people. It seems weird to invite people to church. Really, you know what? People are open to an invitation. If you say, come join me, I'll sit with you, I'll pick you up, we'll, we'll go to church together. But what we're going to try to do for the next few weeks is just present the gospel message as clearly as we can. So... As we get started today, I have a question for you. You may, um, maybe you've gone to church for a long time, or maybe you're brand new. Maybe somebody dragged you here today and promised you lunch afterwards if you came to church, which is all great. But have you ever wondered, why do we do, why church? Why do we do church? Why does this exist? Why do we have church? Um, is it to be a community of people? We get to know each other, make some new friends. That's a good, that's not a bad thing. That's fine. That's a wonderful thing. To be a community of people that supports one another when we are in need. Maybe someone in our community, in our church, is going through a difficult time, and we say, you know what, we're the church. We're going to support them. We're going to help them through this. Is that what the church is about? And that's also a good thing. Maybe we think the church is a group of people that we're going to be the type of people that makes a change in the world. We've got enough negative influences in the world. We, the church, are going to be a positive influence in the world. Again, not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We can do that. But at the heart, and as we begin this message in this series, at the heart of why the Christian church exists is this. We were created, you and me, we were all created to have a relationship with God. God created you. God created me. God created the world to, so that he could have a relationship with his people. This is how it was designed. And it didn't last very long, but this is how it was designed. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created man and woman, and he wanted to have a relationship with them, to be their God, for him to be their people. The original design was perfect. 
The world was perfect. There was no sin in the world. Our relationship with God originally was perfect. There was nothing separating us from him. But then that got messed up. And if you know the Old Testament, if you know the story of Adam and Eve, you know it got messed up. It happened pretty quick. Um, sin entered the world. And so I wanted to start this idea of Save Me, this series of Save Me, by at the very beginning... Why do we need to be saved? Because sin entered the world. And so in Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve, God created everyone, God created the world. His blessing was over all creation. He wanted a relationship with his people, and then something happened, and sin entered the world. And you know the story, the, the, tree, of, the tree of good and evil, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, ate the apple, Eve blamed the serpent, Adam blamed his wife. And uh, we've, we've never really gotten rid of that habit of blaming other people for our mistakes, husbands especially. Oh, it's my wife's fault. Um, but here's, here, that's the story, and here's what God says to Adam and Eve as we get started on this series today in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, to the woman, to Eve, he said, as a result of the sin that they had just committed, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Verse 17, to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and it goes on to say that it'll produce thorns and thistles, and the modern-day equivalent in my backyard is crabgrass that I can't get rid of. The earth was designed originally just to produce fruit, to be perfect, to have God's blessing, and now not only has sin entered the world damaging our relationship with God, with Adam and Eve, damaging their relationship with each other, but now even the earth is cursed, where now he says, Adam, you're going to have to work at it. Before the earth was just going to be fruitful, but now you are going to have to toil and work. Everything got broken. Everything got messed up. Adam and Eve had the ability to choose evil, and they chose evil. And worse than the earth being cursed, and worse than Adam and Eve um, having their relationship damaged with each other, and all of a sudden everything is just this, this blessing that God had over all creation is now tarnished and damaged by sin. Our relationship with him, he has now separated us. Our sin has separated us from God. This is the heart of the beginning of the gospel message. Our sin separates us from God. So this is the situation as we get started in this. I'm just kind of laying this as the foundation. We have people that God has created, wants to have a relationship with them, to be close to them, to be their God. And our sin has caused separation. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But this is where we start out this series, kind of on a downer, right? Everything, I'm, I'm kind of informally calling my message this, everything is broken, <laughs> okay? Everything is broken. Does the world Maybe you're sitting here today and you would have this thought. Does the world ever seem broken to you? Do you ever have those moments where you're like, oh, why does this keep happening? Well, there's a good reason because our world is broken. We have a world that sin has entered. And we live in this broken world looking to our God and we're trying to find ways to, to mend that relationship with God. Going through this earth where tragedies happen, where sin is everywhere, and we just realize, oh, this is a broken world. And really what that should cause us to do is look to God and have a hope for heaven one day. But we are in a broken, broken world. We're going to look at a lot of verses 
in the book of Romans as we go through the next few weeks. So I want to look at the book of Romans, and we're going to start, maybe you've been in church and you've heard of the Romans road to salvation. Well, there's a lot of verses in throughout the book of Romans that talk about the gospel message, talk about this idea, we were sinful, we have been separated from God, and then God reached down to save us. So we're going to start reading through a few of these verses in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read a few verses, they will be up on the screen. All right, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to believers in Rome. It says this in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Jump ahead to verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over into the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Those words in Romans are, Romans are so powerful. And the first thing I want to highlight, the very first sentence in that verse 18, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? Maybe you grew up in a church environment where the wrath of God, or maybe you had a parent that was like this, like you better smarten up or the wrath of God is going to come down like a, like a fireball on you. If you're late for curfew, the wrath of God, I will call it down from heaven on you. We could have used that at our house last night. We had some curfew issues last night. Um, and I don't, see the, I don't see her in church today. Maybe she's uh, tired because she was so late for curfew. Um, the wrath of God, you know, as parents, we would like to say, yes, the wrath of God. Like, like we have this angry God in heaven that's just watching, just waiting for, like angry, just waiting for people to squash with his big thumb. You know, well, how about this? How about this tragedy? Like he's just angry, waiting to just mess up our lives. That's what we think about wrath. But when you read this, you realize what the wrath of God is, is simply, and parents, we can relate to this with our kids, is simply God allowing the consequences for our sinful behavior to come into play. God is ba- the wrath of God is basically saying, it says there right there, for, for they tried to be wise, they exchanged all the truth about God for a lie, and therefore God gave them over to their sin. Basically, the wrath of God is God saying, you want to choose your own way, you want to choose evil, you want to choose sin, then go ahead, but there's going to be consequences, natural consequences are going to happen. So as a parent, I relate to this, especially as my kids get older, where sometimes when they're a little more defiant, you can tell I don't have any family members in the room today because I'm really going, we need, there should be like a cutout of Christy over there so I can at least kind of sense her presence. She said she would listen to this later, so I better still be smart and, and wise. But as a parent, as our kids get older, there's times where they're feeling defiant, and I'll say, okay, well, here's the rules, here's the expectations, here's what's going to happen. And they'll be like, well, I don't want to do that. And so in my mind, and, and I'll think this, and then I'll sometimes say it to them, I'll say, well, I can't physically make you do these things. I can't physically make you come home at a certain time, or I can't physically do this. I'm not going to drive and drag you home for curfew, or I'm not going to physically make you go clean the bathroom, because that's just awkward for both of us. But here's what can happen. You can choose to do whatever you want. 
but then we'll see how that goes. It's essentially like the wrath of dad coming down. You can choose however you want, but let's see how that goes. There will be consequences. This is the wrath of God that we are learning about here. This idea that God is just simply giving people over. You want to choose sin. You want to choose your own way. You want to live life however you want. Go ahead, and then, uh, and then there's going to be things that will happen to you. There's going to be choices you make that lead to destruction. There's going to be consequences of sin, and we see it all over the world so much tragedy in the world that we would say, why, God, do you allow this to happen? You're a wrathful, evil God. Well, what, what God would say is this is simply just people choosing evil. So much harm in the world is simply people choosing sin, choosing evil. So otherwise, in those verses in Romans, there was two main points that I want to highlight as we talk today. The first one is this, the idea that God gave them over to their sin. Those verses continue on as you read through Romans 1 and 2, and, God, and it talks about God's judgment on those and people choosing sin and our separation from God. And it culminates in a verse that we know if we've been around church very well, Romans 3, verse 23, and it says this. I'll just read it to you. It culminates with this idea. This sums up everything that's happening so far in the book of Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you ever heard that verse before? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the summary of where we begin. Everybody has sinned. Everything is broken. Our relationship with God is broken. So the first point today is this. We have to acknowledge the real problem. We have to acknowledge the real problem, and that is this. It's a sin problem. All have sinned. Everything is broken. Creation, humanity, relationships, our relationship with God, broken. The problem is not somebody else. The problem, we can't just say, well, here's the, they're the problem in this world. The government, or this other nation, or this group of people, they're the problem in the world, or my family members, or people that I work with, my boss, whatever, they're the problem. No, our problem, the ultimate problem, is a sin problem. We have a problem with sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a great passage in Isaiah 22. We're going to be jumping around to a few scriptures today. They'll be up on the screen for you. Isaiah chapter 22, the prophet Isaiah, and we'll work through this pretty quick. The prophet Isaiah, God has called Isaiah to say, I want you to prophesy to all these nations. So Isaiah has the fun task of hearing from God and then saying to all these groups of people, God's about to bring down disaster on you. So that's a fun job, right? How would you like to have that job? And God even says it to Isaiah at the beginning. I've called you to be a prophet for me, and I'm going to say a lot of things to a lot of people that they're not going to want to hear, are you in? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. So Isaiah is giving prophecies to all these nations. Throughout Isaiah, he's giving prophecies to Damascus and Egypt and Babylon, basically saying, God is going to wipe you out. You've had your day in the sun. You have had smooth sailing. Things have been going well, but there's going to be judgment coming to you. And then in chapter 22, it says there's a prophecy about Jerusalem. And I, I read that and thought, well, this is God's people. This is Israel. These are the good guys. I could see how God would say, I'm going to wipe out these other people. I'm going to bring disaster on them. But now he's doing a prophecy against his people, Israel, in chapter 22. And the prophet Isaiah paints a picture for Israel, for Jerusalem, of impending disaster because of their sin and wickedness. The people's response in hearing this should have been recognizing, I have fallen short, I have sinned, we have sinned, and fall on their face and repent. But instead, here's what happens in verse 12. It says this, The Lord, the Lord Almighty, called you on that day to weep 
and wail, to tear out your hair and put on sackcloth. It's essentially, God is saying, I let you know that your sin is causing all these consequences. What should have happened was for you to repent and to fall down and to be remorseful. Verse 13, but see, there is joy and revelry, slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. They're throwing a party. They're throwing a party. God is saying, your sin is causing destruction. And they are throwing a party. They are reveling in it. They are just saying, yeah, you know what? We're just going to keep going on with life, not recognizing the problem. So the first step as we talk about this idea of save me is recognizing we have a sin problem. Recognizing our brokenness. Things are not fine. A lot of people just try to go through life with that broken relationship to God saying, well, if things are fine, I'm just going to make it through life. Uh, I'll pretend I'm fine. Maybe I'll just try to be a nicer person. Maybe I'll try and do some good deeds. Maybe at the end of my life, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. No, this is not at the heart of salvation. We must all come to a point where we repent of our sin. Okay, Sin is in the world. We all have it. And we all have to get to a point where we repent of our sin. This is the real problem. If you have a cut on your arm and it gets badly infected... A Band-Aid is not going to help it. You have to get to the root of the problem, right? As a kid, I would just go, up and Mom, I just put a Band-Aid on and I'm fine. And of course, moms are always like, well, it's probably infected. That's kind of what moms say. And if we have an infection, putting a Band-Aid on it isn't going to help. If we have a sin problem, just trying to be a good person isn't going to help. We have to get to the root of the problem. Yesterday, I... Uh, I, I was at the Women's Expo, the Twin Cities Women's Expo, because why wouldn't I spend my Saturday at the Twin Cities Women's Expo, right? And uh, I was helping out a friend. I was helping out Steve Mackey, who was there doing a, a booth for his company. He's got a great company, Trustworthy Music, that does wedding DJing and all sorts of corporate events. He does sound and music for those things. Well, he also needed someone to help run sound for the actual event. They had all these speakers on the main stage, so I came and helped do that. So I spent the day at the Women's Expo, which was fun. Um, and then I... I Basically, they said, oh, you're kind of the MC for the day. And so I was like, oh, great. And there's a fashion show, which you have to MC, which I'm like, awesome, I can do that. And then and people would hand me announcements all day, like, can you announce this about our booth? And so, and so when you go in to the Women's Expo, you know, I've never been, it was my first time, um, you look around and there's every product and service imaginable for what the American culture thinks, here's what women need, here's what women are looking for. So you go in and there's... You know, all sorts of essential oils and LuLaRoe leggings, of course, and those are like the two most important things. And then there's, you know, skin care treatments, and then there's counselors, and then there's, you know, healthy eating things and all natural foods and tons of exercise equipment and seminars and all those things. And then cake in a jar and candy apples and all these things. So you think, okay, well, this is clearly what they're saying, what women are, are looking for. And I there was even like, uh, you know, Botox and, you know, psychics and mediums, all these things. And so I was walking through that and I was, you know, it was a great day. I had a fun day. Um, but here's what I thought. And I, I thought this because I knew I was preaching this message today. Um, there was lots of, all the presenters were talking about, you know what, um, choose happiness. Choose to see the positive. Think positively. Don't focus on the negative. Find the real you. Um, chase your dreams. Establish what you want to do with life and chase your dreams. And all those things are 
you know, most everything in there, I was like, these are all good things. There's nothing wrong with a lot of these things. But here was my thought, because I was thinking about this sermon as I was, you know, emceeing the fashion show. Um, Many of these things are good, but outside of a restored relationship to God, none of these things are really going to fit the need of what people are trying to sell. So they're saying your, your life's going to be better if you would, you know, tighten your skin or lose some weight or eat healthier or do this or think positively or, or all these things. And all I kept thinking was, of all these good things, they're, they're not solving the problem. The problem is we have a relationship with God that has been broken and we need a way to have that relationship mended. The problem is not a, a Botox problem or a cellulite or an essential oil or I'm wearing the wrong leggings. Not me, but you know. The, pro- the problem is a... <laughs> Some of you are packing up and getting the kids. We got to get out of here, kids. We can still make it to one of those other churches. Um, <laughs> The problem is a sin problem. The problem is that we have been separated from God. So the second thing, that's the first thing. The second thing that Paul is saying in those verses in Romans is this. Not only is your relationship with God broken, and similar to that theme at the Women's Expo, but we, all of us, try to fill that void with all sorts of things. That's what Paul was saying when we read those verses in Romans. Instead of recognizing the immortal, awesome God, they exchange it for a lie. They're trying to find anything that would fill that void. That relationship with God is broken, and now we are trying to find anything that will fill that gap in our life. Have you ever been in a situation where you realize, I thought I was getting the real deal, but this is obviously a cheap imitation. We have a bad... Uh, we have bad luck at sometimes in our house when we order something. We, you know, we do conferences and other things where we're going to need to order. Christy will order like she needs a thousand like blinky bracelets for a girls' conference or whatever. And then we realize after it's ordered, we realize, oh no, this is this might be coming from somewhere way overseas and it's a cheap knockoff. Or, or she'll order an outfit that looks great online. Have you ever done this? And all of a sudden you realize, oh, this came from somewhere very far away and like there's a there's sleeves on both sides. You know, there's something really, really wrong with it. You realized right away there it was a cheap imitation. Have you ever been there? Well, I found this, this uh, some pictures this week. So what I have is some pictures of American brands, but in other countries overseas, they're like the cheap knockoff brands. Do we have a picture that we can throw up there, Charlie? So that's, that's Sunbucks Coffee right there. So if you... How many of you know if you're going overseas and you're ordering a, a grande cappuccino and then you, you realize pretty quick, oh, this is Sunbucks, this is not Starbucks. So, All right, so that's Sunbucks coffee. Next one. I like this next one. It's hard to see. Those are Mikey shoes. Those are Mikey's. And the, and the, the, the Mikey swoosh is, just has a little bump in the middle as to not get sued by Nike. So, All right, next one. I love this one. That's Pizza Huh. It's kind of hard to see, but that's, it looks like Pizza Hut, but it's Pizza Huh, H-U-H. And so I guarantee if you go in there and order a pizza, you'll be saying, huh? Pizza Huh. All right, and the last one, I love this one. Can you read that? It's Special Man. Special Man. So that's not Superman. It's Special Man. I, I thought, I've got to find myself a Special Man action figure. That would be so perfect. I love that because, you know, Superman, faster than a speeding bullet, leaps tall buildings in a, in a single bound. That's Superman. So other people would be like, is that Superman? No, this is just Special Man. He doesn't do any of those things. He just, you know, he's special. He empties the dishwasher or something like that, whatever Special Man does. We had a, a situation like this um, in our house several Christmases ago. Um, during the, well, maybe it's still going, during the American Girl doll craze. 
Betty, another family story. Man, my family needs to get to church. I think they're all up in kids' church, or some of them. Betty wanted an American Girl doll, and she came to us and said, well, Mom and Dad, I know they're expensive, so what I did was I asked Santa for it instead so you guys wouldn't have to buy it. And we're like, great. Um, so then we thought, okay, well, well, we'll get her a doll instead, but we're not going to get an American Girl doll. And we had that crisis as a parent. Maybe you've been there. We said, Target sells these dolls for like 25 bucks. American Girl dolls are like over 100, 200, whatever, whatever it is. We said, we'll just, she'll be fine with this doll. This is not an American Girl doll, but it kind of looks like it. So we wrapped it up, this uh, Target brand, whatever it was, this American Girl doll knockoff brand, special, special man, American Girl doll, whatever it was. And, uh, and we wrapped it up and we gave it to Betty. And Christmas morning, Betty, and she was so sweet, she was super excited. She saw the, the size of the box and she was, she knew it was coming. She opened it up and we could see it. You know that moment where you see it in her face and she's like, she puts the smile on because she sees it and then she realizes this is not what I wanted, but she doesn't want to be a bad kid, which made it worse as the parent. This would have been way easier if she just turned into a brat because then we would have said, you know what, teachable moment, whatever, you don't get anything. But it was, she was like trying to put on a happy face. She's like, oh, this is great, uh, awesome. And then she kind of went over and, and played. And then a few minutes later, we noticed she was just kind of sitting there and we're like, Betty, what's the matter? And, you know, she got teary and she just said, Santa brought me the wrong doll. And we were just like, <laughs> so Christy, of course, Christy, of course, handles this very sweetly. I'm so sorry, honey, and, we'll, you know, it'll be okay. We'll figure it out. And I turned into more of a dad moment, just like, what's up with Santa? What's his deal? I would have got you the right doll. What's... That was our encounter with, you know, cheap knockoff imitation. That was our Sunbucks coffee moment right there. We are living in a Sunbucks world, a special man world. Our sin has separated from God, and we think we can fill it with all sorts of things. This relationship has been broken, and we think we can fill the void with, with all sorts of things, and we realize they are cheap imitations. They don't fill the void. The book of Ecclesiastes, a great book written by King Solomon, King Solomon at the end of his life. Now, King Solomon, if you know the story of King Solomon, he was known as the wisest man. God gave him great wisdom. He was very wise. He had unbelievable riches. He had all the power. He was the king. The book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon kind of writing this at the end of his life, looking back on his life, looking back on all the success, riches, power, wisdom, women, pleasure, anything he could have ever dreamed, Solomon had it, had access to it. He had limitless anything he wanted. And the first words out of his mouth in the book of Ecclesiastes is this, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Chapter 2, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, it says, Solomon is saying this, we'll put it up on the screen. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. This is Solomon saying, all through my life, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and there was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Look how applicable those words are to our world today. Right? Our world today? Do we have people in our world today who are trying to find 
purpose and meaning in any sort of thing, in success, in pleasure, in wealth, in power. Our world is broken. Sin has entered the world, and we have broken people limping through life thinking, if I can just get, if I can just get, if I could just have a little more money, if I could have a little more success, a little more pleasure, entertainment, power, fame, popularity, if I could just be recognized more, then that's going to fill that void, right? If I could just buy that one more thing, eat that one more thing, get more likes and followers and approval on social media, if I could just make people like me, students, I want to talk to you. We live in the social media era. I'm just going to tell you if there's anything that applies to Solomon's words of meaningless, it's going out of your way to try to get approval on social media, looking at likes and approval, it's all going to fade away. If King Solomon were here today and he had Snapchat, he would Snapchat it and send it to you and say, this is meaningless with the cat ears and the rainbow mouth thing. He would say, meaningless, none of this matters. You're trying to fill the void. If you are trying to fill the void in your life by getting approval of others, it is not going to fill the void. Adults, we try to fill it with everything we can think of. If I could just get more, then I'll feel complete. Then that void will be filled. And they're all cheap imitations. And what have we got instead? We have broken people who are debt-ridden, people who are depressed. There's war and conflict. There's refugee crisis all over the world. There's sexual abuse and people addicted to pornography, people who are lonely and miserable, all as a result of trying to seek after power or pleasure or fame or wealth or riches or whatever it is, trying to fill that void. Those words from Isaiah we read earlier ring true today where God would say to us, stop celebrating in your brokenness. Stop going around going, life goes on. We're just going to do the best we can. Don't just say, well, we're going to eat and drink and have a good time and enjoy our life. It's all an imposter. Stop limping around pretending everything is great when everything is broken and you need a savior. You need a savior. This is what Isaiah was saying. This is what Solomon is saying. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans. We can try all sorts of things, but we have a sin problem that needs a savior. We started today reading that verse in Romans, which really sums up the idea that we started with. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want to read that verse again, and I want to end today by reading the next verse. So we're going to read Romans 3.23, and then verse 24 as well. It says this. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus has done. Our problem of sin and brokenness, that void we have because our relationship with God has been broken and we try to fill it with everything else, Jesus steps in and redeems us. He mends that relationship. He forgives our sin. This problem of sin is no more because Jesus has come in and provided mercy and redemption. This Jesus who sees us at our worst and says, I love you. I died for you. 
I want to restore that relationship so you can fill that void. You can realize why you're here on earth and live abundant life. This is what Jesus has done. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the Jesus we remember and we pray to and we celebrate heading into this Easter season. As we close today, there's a story of this Jesus interacting with a woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. This was a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. This was a Samaritan woman who was going to the well to get water for herself and her family. Only the story says that it was the heat of the day, right at noon, this Samaritan woman came to the well, which means, because no one would do that, why would you go out and do all your chores in the heat of the day in the sun? Everyone else would be there in the morning. But this Samaritan woman knew, okay, well, everyone else is going to be there, so I'm going to avoid everyone else, because she was an outcast. She was known, not only was she hated by the Jews, she was hated by her own people, because she was known as just being kind of a harlot. She had had five husbands, and she was on her sixth, uh, that wasn't even her, she was living with her sixth husband, really wasn't even her husband. So she had a reputation. She was broken. And she meets Jesus at the well that day. She offers to get Jesus a drink from the well, and, and, and Jesus says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for what? Do you remember what it was? Living water. You would ask me for living water. And the Samaritan woman says, I don't know what, what this living water is. And Jesus says, if you drink of that water, whoever drinks of that water is going to thirst again, that void. You know, that water is good for you physically. That's not going to solve your problem. What Jesus is saying, you can't fill the void with something else. But living water, whoever drinks of this living water which I provide will never thirst again. This Jesus who offers kindness and mercy when we are at our worst When we are at our worst, this Jesus who gives us living water, new life, and we will never thirst again. He fills the void. He forgives our sin. He makes us right with God. Can we close in prayer today?